Ladies, it's wonderful to gather once again for our Revealed study, and today we are going to be looking at the lesson on the potter and the clay. Let's pray together as we begin. Our great God and Father, please open your word to us and open our hearts to your word, and I pray that you would mold us, help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've brought with me today my favorite coffee mug, which is in my favorite color green and so cool white on the inside. I drink tea out of this all of the time. And then I also have a sweet little teapot that my daughter Sophie made in her art class that I set out and look at. And these things are reminding me that Pottery is not just something that you look at, but something that you actually use. They're, they're made for a purpose, right? To drink your tea or your coffee or to, to pour out your tea. And as we look at Isaiah 45 today, I want to just remind us that in the beginning of the book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, Isaiah is, has this message of judgment, right? It's um, words of warning. And... Those words of judgment are interspersed with words of grace and hope. And then in the second half of the book, there are messages of comfort with judgment. So in chapter 45 today, we see Isaiah addressing Judah as they, they are in exile in Babylon. And Isaiah continues to point them to their faithful covenant God, who, though they think may have failed them at this point, who is really keeping his promises. And he is the Holy One who saves by his mercy, the one who will restore those that trust in him. In chapters 40, at the end of chapter 44 and through chapter 48, the Lord announces through Isaiah that though they have been in exile in Babylon, there will come a day when he will set them free again and make a way for them to return to their land, for the city of Jerusalem to be restored, and for the temple to be rebuilt. This is what God has promised, and this is what they are longing for. Yet, the Lord is, has, is saying that he's going to use a pagan king named Cyrus to make this happen. This is amazing. Through Isaiah, the Lord is foretelling what he will do through this King Cyrus 150 years before this will take place. And yet, this is good news, words of hope for Israel, yet they are not happy. The Lord is promising what they want, but not in the way that they would like. They don't want to return to their land if it means that they're, they won't have their own king and that they're going to have to live under a pagan ruler. What's disappointing is that they've lost sight of their calling to be a light to the nations, to be useful in God's hands, to pour out his love in a world that so desperately needs it so that others could come to know the, the true God. They want God's blessings, but they still want to be in charge. God had promised to bless them so that they would be a blessing to the rest of the world. Yet, they want God's blessings just for themselves. Wow. Some things never change, right? I relate to this. I think this is us today. 
So here, in the midst of the exile, Isaiah reveals the Lord as the potter. The Lord, the potter, is the only true God. Let's begin in Isaiah 45, beginning with verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. And here, the Lord is speaking of Cyrus. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I'm, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. I hope after going through our study of Isaiah that you will remember the Lord proclaiming to his people, I am the Lord and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. He is holy and set apart. He's different from us. He's different from the gods with a small g in this, in this world. He is high above them. There is no one beside him. And here we see that God is going to equip Cyrus, though Cyrus doesn't know him. And the goal is that the Lord's glory will be revealed to the whole world. We see some metaphors here that speak of the Lord forming light and darkness, bringing good and trouble. We see that the Lord is the one sovereign God who is working out his purposes, even though people may not, we especially, we may not be able to get our little minds around all that he is doing. He has full authority and power. He alone is the Lord. So the potter is the only true God. The potter is also the creator of all. At the, in chapter 44, verse 24, we find that thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretches out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Do you know that that word create, that verb, is used only with God? God is the only one who creates, forms, fashions. He is the uncreated one who has created the heavens and the earth and everything in them and who continues to sustain them. He is the master artist who creates ex nihilo, which means he creates from nothing. He speaks and things come to be. God is not only the creator of all things, but he also created Israel with a purpose in mind. He chose them. He placed his love upon them. He covenanted with them to be their God and to work through them to to bring restoration to the whole world. So the, and the potter is also the savior. Let's read on in chapter 45, verse 8. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. So through Cyrus, Jude, Judah will be set free from exile. And what beautiful imagery we find here. Righteousness raining down from the heavens. And salvation and righteousness sprouting up from the earth. So the sovereign plan of the Lord is to bring righteousness and salvation to the world. 
And ladies, just a few chapters later, Isaiah will point to the ultimate savior, the suffering servant, Jesus, the Messiah. So the potter is the savior. He is also the father. This, this is a verse we find in the middle of a prayer, Isaiah 64, 8. goes like this, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. So in the middle of this prayer at the end of the book of Isaiah, where God is calling his people to be faithful to him and to wait with hope for the restoration of all things, for God to set things right. In the middle of this prayer, where they're asking for justice, where they're confessing their sins, they proclaim this that he is their father and they are the clay. You are our potter, we are all the work of your hands. So the potter is also the father who overflows with steadfast love, who lovingly teaches and guides his children, who showers them with grace even when they're at their worst, who both seeks and patiently waits for his wayward children to return, who runs out to greet them, who longs to welcome home all the people that he has made. So the potter is not mean or cruel. He's a trustworthy, loving father who will not fail them. He has purpose for his clay. And we are the clay. When I think of clay, I just think of a big blob of clay right, that you have to kind of throw down onto the table and knead and work with it to get it so it'll be, it's able to be molded. It's stiff. I have a friend who's been taking pottery classes and she talks about the wedging process where you're trying to work out the air bubbles and to prepare it so you can put it on the wheel. It takes lots of kneading. And then the potter has to use water to help soften it and put pressure on it to be able to mold it. So the potter is the former and the clay is the thing that is to be formed, to be molded. The clay does not make the plan for what it will become. <laughs> it's the artist's design, the potter's plan, his purpose for the clay. The potter is in charge and not the clay. And yet we find, <laughs> that the Lord proclaims to his people that they've turned things upside down. Let's read on in Isaiah 45, beginning with verse nine. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? Here Isaiah is calling out Judah for striving with the Lord, arguing with him, contending with him, fighting against him. And he says, woe to them, right? Woe is the opposite of, of pronouncing a blessing. It's saying, watch out. This is a warning of judgment. 
here in my English Standard Version study Bible in the footnotes, it says, putting God under suspicious scrutiny is a serious offense. Created beings may not demand explanations from him. In Isaiah 29, 16, Isaiah proclaims, You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, He did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him, Who formed it? He has no understanding. Things are upside down. The clay cannot claim that it fashioned itself. The clay has no mind or ability to form or shape itself. The clay has no business telling the potter what to do and what its purpose should be. The clay cannot think that it knows more than the potter. And the clay cannot mold the potter. We can't turn things upside down. Here, God, the potter, is patiently working with rebellious Israel. They are clay that is being difficult, resisting being molded for his purposes, demanding to be made into a different shape. And so Isaiah is saying, the Lord brought you into exile to reshape you, to mold you, to grow you into his, into his image, into people who love him and trust him, who love others in ways that draw them to their maker. The Lord is not failing you. He is following through on his promises. And oh, he is being gracious to you. I can't help but think here of a, a strong-willed child, which I was a very strong-willed child as a little one. I, my family says that I spent much of my time in my bedroom because I was always throwing tantr temper tantrums, and that was my parents' solution. They just got me, <laughs> tried to get me away from everybody else. So a strong-willed child is one whose first reaction is to be resistant, to say no, to be stubborn, to demand her own way, his or her own way, to try to be in charge. And, and have you been around a little one, a preschooler even, who will be bossy and, and boss around the adults in their home? I have. I was one of them. And yet, you wouldn't want a preschooler, a little one, ruling your home, you wouldn't want them to be in charge. They're not equipped to. They could run things off the rails quite easily. And yet, ladies, if we're honest, this is what we do with God sometimes. We try to take charge. So I have to ask the question, are we ones who at times, or maybe a certain area of our lives or a certain situation, or something going on in our hearts where we're being resistant, unbending, rebellious. Although we would never actually say it out loud, sometimes we think we know better than God. We want to tell him what we think is best. And Isaiah is reminding us that this is foolishness. I think of a song by Natalie Grant that's called King of the World, where she says, when did I forget that you've always been the king of the world? I try to take life back right out of the hands of the king of the world. How could I make you so small when you're the one who holds it all? Oh, ladies, he is the potter.
and we are the clay in his hands. And so what kind of clay will we be in the potter's hands? Rather than striving and arguing with the potter, rather than making commands to him or telling him what to do, we, God's people, are to entrust ourselves to the potter, the only God, the creator, savior, and father. Rather than being resistant, we are to surrender to his hands that are lovingly molding and shaping us for his good purposes. Isaiah 43, 13 speaks of the potter's hands or the Lord's hands. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. And Isaiah 45, 12, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and commanded all their hosts. His hands are mighty and strong and like no other. His hands stretched out the heavens and his hands are still upholding them. May we be reminded today that surely we can entrust ourselves into his mighty and awesome hands. And then I think of Isaiah 43 verses 1 and 2. But now, thus says the Lord, the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. Yes, this is a season of suffering for God's people who are in exile, but he is still with them. He promises to be with them, and he is with them, protecting them. He's not giving up on them. He still is willing to say <laughs> that they are his. They are his witnesses to the world. He is going to make a way for them. His hands are mighty, but they are always working out of love for his people. If you have a chance, read through all of Isaiah 43. Memorize it. It's one of my favorite chapters in the book of Isaiah. Here, the Lord continues to plead with his people <laughs> that he is their faithful God, that he is the potter in whom they can trust. And he says, oh, would you please? <laughs> Gain understanding. Would you stop complaining and accept my instruction? It's as if he's saying, are you done yet? Will you now surrender to my plans? Stop whining and fighting me. Listen to my words through <laughs> my prophet Isaiah. It's there for your good, for my glory, and for the good of the world. You see, ladies, there is joy in surrendering to the molding of the potter's hands. It's freeing to know that your understand, understanding is minuscule in comparison to the all-knowing and wise understanding of the Lord, isn't it? So will we be clay that is surrendered, willing, yielded, 
obedient to his purposes and plans? I will ask again, is there an area of your heart or life today where you're being resistant, even defiant? We know that Jesus taught us to pray to our Father in heaven, to, to, hallow, to worship his name, honored be his name, and to say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I recently learned a brief prayer from Tim Keller. I heard it in one of his sermons. He talks about this idea of us surrendering our will and, and us being willing to say, Lord, I want your will be, to be done. And he uses three phrases, not only, Lord, what you will, but how you will and when you will. If we really give up our own desires and plans to the Lord, then we must surrender to him by allowing him to work out his will and purposes in the ways that he chooses and according to his timing. Adding those phrases, Lord, how you will and when you will to my prayers has reminded me over and over again my understanding is so small and that I can trust in my wise, all-knowing potter. <laughs> and I can trust in his timing. I can trust his heart. Ladies, we often read these passages and we look at the word you, Y-O-U, and think of it as singular. Yet these passages are written in plural to the to the nation of Israel and Judah, to all of God's people. And I believe that Isaiah's call echoes to, to the church today. We, as God's new covenant people, are to embrace our purpose of building his kingdom here on earth. And yet I'm afraid too often we settle for the American dream, caring for our own and neglecting the wonderful mission that God has given to us to bring the good news of Jesus to this world. It's in giving our lives away where true joy is found. It's, it's truly living. And what a privilege it is. What a great mission that we've been invited into to build God's kingdom here on earth rather than our own. So may we proclaim with him that the potter, with Isaiah today, the potter is the Lord of all. Let's be on our knees before him in awe and wonder, in joy and worship, in gratitude and with a willing spirit. May we be ones who pour out our lives out of love for him with a desire to bring him glory and may our lives, not our words, but our lives shout from the rooftop to others that he is the Savior. And may we gently woo others to hear Isaiah's call. Oh, don't waste your time in fighting against the hands of the potter. I want to ask you today, do you know anyone who is surrendering to the potter's hands today? 
I have a friend who in the last year and a half has lost four members of her family, her parents and two of her siblings. When I went to go see her, she said to me, yes, I'm grieving. And yet, I'm so thankful. There are so many things to be joyful about. And I thought, oh my, she has a surrendered heart. Gratitude and joy are flowing out of her in the midst of her grief. I met a young couple this last weekend who have recently moved to Aurora from Wheaton so that they can reach out in a poor community to the Latinos that are living there. They've moved right into the neighborhood to show them the love of Jesus. They are experiencing the joy of seeking to build God's kingdom rather than their own. I see many of our own church members serving those who are in crisis in our community through the Shepherd's Heart Ministry. And it is beautiful to see people from our church who are seeing and caring for those who are struggling and seeking to share the love of Jesus and the good news that he brings to them. This is beautiful kingdom work. Now, as I was chatting the other day with my friend who's taking pottery classes, she reminded me, she said, you know, when you finish a work, you always put your name on it. And so I think of this little teapot that my daughter Sophie made and her little name is right on, right on the bottom there. And I'm reminded that we as the church today, we claim to be Christians, right? The Lord has put his name on us. And so may we be ones who are reflecting his character, reflecting his heart and his ways in this world. And we, may we not lose sight of our, the mission that we've been given to follow him and to honor him so that the world may know the only God and Savior, Jesus. May we be ones who are not building our own kingdoms, but are seeking to build his kingdom. May we be ones who are working with Jesus, not against him. Will you pray with me? Lord, have your way in and through us, your kingdom people, your church. Mold us and remake us that we may be like you. May your love flow through us that others may come to trust in you and so that you may be glad that you have given us your name. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus I pray. Amen.